Good morning. There you go. It's a beautiful morning. I'm glad to be here. I'm thankful for each one of you and for the journey that we're on together. I hope that this morning as as I hear feedback, as I share our story a little bit about who we are and what God has done in our life with respect to this subject, that uh, it will be helpful to you. And uh, I most especially want you to know that Carol and I are on a journey together through life, just like you. I know, you know, I'm an old dude here, and so it's like, you've lived so long, and you talk to Jesus every night, and he shows up in your bedroom. (laughs) No, not so much. Um, Although my cat does, but that's another subject. But but I, I want you to know that there's not that much that separates us, as difficult as that is to express. Uh, or to believe, perhaps. And uh, so as, as we tell our story here this morning, I hope that uh, you can see yourselves as well. Our text today is Psalm 116, and I'm going to be touching on that at several different points as I talk about the subject of when I feel grief. The opening verse, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. You pray with me. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. To whom else shall we turn but you, Lord? Only you have words of eternal life. Lord, I pray that uh, today you would speak to each one of us. I know you do this. I'm asking that we would have ears to hear, beginning with me. This is my prayer, dear Lord. Amen. Our story has to do with a very hot summer day. Temperature near 100 degrees. Carol had taken our three kids to see her mom in Tulsa that weekend. And uh, I stayed home so I could preach in my part-time ministry at the little church up in Arcadia, Kansas, where I preached for nine years after Carol and I came back from mission service in Chile. It was August. School was starting on Monday. And uh, it was a chance for the cousins to be together and to have a good time for Carol to see her mom and her family. Uh, Our oldest, Matthew, was getting ready to go in the 10th grade. David was going to go in the 7th, and Abby was about to enter first grade. And when I arrived home that afternoon, because I was in Arcadia and Carol was in Tulsa, we were both coming back home to Joplin about the same time. But when I got home, I walked in the house, and the phone was ringing. And I pick it up, and the voice on the other end said, This is St. John's Hospital. Your family's been in an accident. Uh, You need to come to the hospital. And so I just asked the obvious question, are they okay? And the voice on the other end said, you just need to come. You know, I walked out the front door to go back out to the car, our little 510 Datsun. Yes, I can fit in a Datsun. (laughs) Um, But I walked out the front door, and Steve Jennings, my next-door neighbor, told me afterwards that I'd left the front door open 
It was 100 degrees out. You know, you can literally push things out of your mind if you choose to. And I did just that as I drove to the hospital. You know how it is. You, you can literally not think about something. So when I got there, they took me into the what's called the quiet room almost immediately. I said, I'm Chris Dewell. Um, my family's been in an accident. They said, you need to come into the quiet room. Quiet room is a oxymoron because, in a certain sense because it's anything but quiet in your heart when they tell you things that they often tell you in the quiet room. And what they said in a very kind way, and I, I really appreciated their, their demeanor, they simply said there had been an accident and all the members of your family were injured and your oldest son did not survive. Carol was driving our old Aerostar van back home that Sunday afternoon and when she was between Miami and Joplin, uh, she had a blowout on the back tire and the van wobbled this way and wobbled that way and then it turned over on top. There was no divider in those days in the median of the interstate and so it literally rolled over and landed on the top in the opposite lane of traffic. By God's grace, uh, they weren't struck, but Matthew and David were thrown out of the vehicle. Abby was hung up in the seat belt in the back seat, and Carol hit her head really hard uh, on the dashboard and on the windshield. She had a severe concussion as a result of that. She cut a tendon in her left hand, and uh, Abby was hung up in the seat belt in the second seat. Matthew and David were thrown out of the van. David was sitting in the driver's seat with his seat belt on. The little guy was so skinny that, well. That was a hard day. When I got to the hospital, when they let me, uh, took me out, let me go out of the quiet room. David was in one emergency room, Abby was in another, Carol was in another, and they were operating on Carol and on Abby, and they were getting ready to operate on David because David broke both his legs. And uh, he was—he stayed in the hospital for about a week. Abby and Carol came home the next day. Something surreal happens in those moments. It's kind of like—I don't know how to explain it. Some of you—some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Something happens to time. I don't know what. Something happens to time, and. Uh, I remember laying under Carol's bed that night in the hot, let it laid on the floor. There's a little light under the bed that illuminates the room, and I had my little NIV New Testament, and I opened it up. I wanted to see if 1 Corinthians 15 was still there, uh, so I read 1 Corinthians 15. And then I flipped over to John 11 and read Jesus' words to Martha. I'm the resurrection, the life. He that believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I don't know, guys, I'm just telling you what happened. But I really think I heard the voice of Jesus utter my name at the end of me reading those verses. Do you believe this, Chris? This is kind of what it's all about. Here's a kicker on that. Earlier that day, at Arcadia, I had preached on Psalm 90. 
He knows the psalm. Psalm 90 is, teach us to number our days. I preached a sermon on teach us to number our days to an audience that I thought, well, they're quite elderly, and I thought, kind of speaking to their situation facing death, I thought I was talking about them, and I didn't realize that I would be numbering my days and my son's days the very night that I'd preach that sermon. So yeah, Carol and I know something about grief. Um, I can tell you that grief can easily become the devil's playground. Carol blamed herself for the accident. I finally had to literally speak the words into the air. Sweetheart, there's no way you would have ever harmed your son. This is, you're listening to the voice that's not the voice of the shepherd. I had, to, I had to verbalize that. There's something powerful about our words in the air. The enemy worked on me concerning hopes and dreams. Like, so you thought you could see where life was going, didn't you? I've told you this before, like last semester, but the enemy is, was, and always will be a lying snake. He doesn't care about you. When you believe his lies, you're handing him the keys. He cares nothing about you. He just wants the keys. But grief is hard. In the still of the night, in the watches of the night, I would cry out to God. For a while, and we still do this occasionally, we'd ask Jesus to greet Matthew for us. I don't know if that seems weird to you. (laughs) It doesn't seem weird to me at all. And within 10 months, I, after we buried my son, I was burying my father in a plot right next to his. Uh, Father's Day is kind of tough that year. And the really interesting thing is that Matthew died the day before he went in the 10th grade. Carol's father dropped dead the day before she went in the 10th grade in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, yeah, we felt grief. A lot of you have as well. Hear me today. I don't say these things for any other reason than just to share our story. Because there's great healing that comes when you're willing to share your story. I guess I'm kind of doing that, aren't I? What is grief? You know, you you think about grief. Maybe some of you saw the subject for today. It's like, oh, seriously? I don't need that. Because we equate grief with deep sorrow, sadness, distress, mental upset, you know, painful regret, all sorts of things. Not fun stuff. Okay, here's the dominant thought. Carol and I have come to the conclusion that grief is in fact God's gift for suffering loss. The grief is a gift from God. And we don't like grief because of the sadness component. It is a part of it. But healing comes through grief. I would argue, in fact, that all change produces loss. And all loss needs to be grieved. A lot of grief you go through on your own. Sometimes, though, you just can't because the losses are too deep. And when you have deep losses, you inevitably have wounds. And those wounds, people, don't ignore them. Jesus can heal them. When a spouse or a child or a close friend or a sibling dies, there is deep loss. When a family comes apart at the seams, when a spouse walks out on a spouse, 
You know the stories. Loss, deep loss, wounds. In fact, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the wound. So here's the core of what I want to tell you today. The enemy will do all that he can to make your wounds worse. He will press on your wounds. He will pick at your wounds. He will infect your wounds. He will tell you to hide your wounds. He will do all that he can, and he's pushy about it. The enemy will do all that he can to make your wounds worse. Jesus, on the other hand, instead of making your wounds worse, Jesus will heal them. He's not pushy, so you have to ask him. Peter says it like this, Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And this is done as we humbly recognize our only true source of comfort and help. The enemy will make your wounds worse. Jesus will heal your wounds. And the way Jesus heals your wounds is through the process, the healthy process of grief. When you start looking at grief, you right away learn about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief. She was a researcher who researched terminally ill patients and found these things to be present in almost all their cases. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And some people took that and applied it to grief in general and said, what you got to do is you got to walk through all these steps and come out at the other end and you'll be okay. Acceptance, you know, like I'm back to normal. Carol and I found this not to be the case. <laughs> it's not that simple. In fact, I don't even call them stages or steps. I just think of them as phases. The phases we experienced were shock, which I see as God's anesthetic. We experienced denial. We'd still go down to Matthew's room expecting him to be there. We went through a lot of anguish, pain, sadness. We experienced acceptance. Okay, it's not good, but it's okay. Acceptance is usually accompanied by a lot of sighing. But the last one, the really important one, was reinvestment, which is frequently missing. And you don't go through, we didn't go through these in nice, tidy stages of any kind. In fact, we still experience anguish at times. It's okay. You see a lot of the components of grief when you look in the Psalms, especially in Psalm 116. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Psalm 55, fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Psalm 31, 22, in my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. Not true, but it's how I feel. And then he switches, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Psalm 116, here you have acceptance. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Psalm 116, 15, you have deep acceptance, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. You do know that it's highly likely that Jesus sang the Halal Psalms with his disciples at Passover, which would have been uh, Psalm uh, 114 through 118. 116 is right in the center of that. Is it possible that Jesus himself was singing precious in the sight of the Lord as the death of his faithful servants as he contemplated going to the cross? I think it happened that way. Listen to me, people. Jesus is with you in this, but you have to let him in. 
when I started looking through the Psalms, I thought, oh, I can go look for all the stages of grief. You know what I found? I found almost every time the deepest lament was immediately paired with hope. Almost every time I would find shock, I would find it immediately matched with the faith of the psalmist. It was hard to find anger with God that lasted more than a couple of lines. Psalm 30, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 46, though the earth may give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are there with me. The very brackets of the Psalm 116 we're looking at, verses 1 and 2, and then the closing verses 17 to 19, are literally suffused with praise and thanksgiving surrounding the grief passages. I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because He turned His ear to me, I will call on Him as long as I live. And then at the close, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all the people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Today, Carol and I would just like to share some takeaways with, with you that I hope would be helpful. Uh, whether this is for you personally or whether it's for someone you're trying to help. Sweetheart, you want to come up here? This is the light of my life. (laughs) Oh, stop it. (laughs) We just have a few things we'd like to say. If you want to write these down, maybe they'll be helpful to you. I don't know. Number one, do not run from grief. Do not run from grief. It is His healing. The reason we run from grief is because of the component of anguish. But God's healing, I've experienced this, is like standing in the ocean, surf. If you fight it, it just makes you tired. If you'll simply lay down, literally lay down, you know it's coming. It comes and it goes. You know it's coming. If you lay down, you let the water go over you. It'll go clear up to as far as it's going to go, and then it'll go back out. And when it does, it'll take a small piece of your anguish away. (laughs) When you're in the sea, you know, it's like, I have control of the ocean. (laughs) What a fool. No. Submit to God's processes. Don't run from grief. The next one is don't hurry through grief. Grief is really uncomfortable. It's quite painful. You don't want to be there... And it makes everyone around you uncomfortable to see you suffering, and they don't want you to be there either. But you can't hurry through it. Um, You have to process it. Our friends would be there with us in that grief, and that was very helpful. But other people, after I think as early as three or four months, would, would say, you know, you should be over this by now. Well, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. Like Chris said, it will hit you out of the blue sometimes. Some days, even in the first couple of months, they're good days. You laugh. It's, it's great. But generally speaking, it's really difficult. Um, other people do try to hurry you through. You want to hurry through, but don't do it. You can push that down. You really can, but it's going to come out some way is going to cause you deep depression it's going to cause you mental anguish it's going to come out in some physical form somehow so don't rush through it 
if you're the one that's watching someone else grieve, just being there with them and saying, I'm so sorry. You can't say the perfect thing. There just isn't a perfect thing. I'm sorry. I'm here is the best. The third one is do not grieve deeply alone. Don't do that. Not with deep wounds. The reason is that you'll convince yourself that you're okay when you're not. And what you should do with that is just simply ask Jesus to show you who you need. He's fully capable of letting you know who that is. Ask him. Sorry if I'm being mystical, but ask him. See who he brings to mind. And that's really what we did. We didn't exactly do it like that, but that's how it worked out. I can hardly think of a better instance than how we should indeed, as it says in Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I might mention that when you are refused to ask for help with your grief, you're actually denying fellow brothers and sisters the opportunity to fulfill the law of Christ. Don't do that. Open your mouth and admit that you need someone. And when... To me, this is like an application of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, came to us the day our son died. And he came in the form of people who cared. That was a powerful realization that you are Jesus to me right now. Number four, remember that the grief process is from the Lord. The enemy will tell you otherwise, but he is literally going through the valley of the shadow of death with you. This is your journey with your shepherd. You go through it together. He doesn't just say, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. He goes with you into the valley. You know, on the more mystical side, you say, well, how does that work? I, I, I don't know how to explain this, but I do remember, okay, I need to go tell my other son and my daughter and my wife that Matthew has died. I remember saying to Jesus, I I can't do this. And then it was like, okay, here we go. I'm telling you, he was there. I, I don't know how else to explain it. He was there. Helping me do something that was literally impossible to do. I want to say this, and I hope you're listening. There is grace available at specific times in your life that is only available at that time. A measure of grace, a kind of grace that He comes and meets you with so that you can do what to you is impossible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was a good test of that. The fifth one is grief is about separation of many kinds. Death is the one we're death is the one we're talking about right now, but also um, military deployment, separation, uh, divorce in the family, the loss of a relationship, uh, somebody you're dating, a family member. Um, if you are physically attacked somehow, loss of trust, um, loss of a business, loss of a dream, um, things that you've wanted for so long and looked so possible but now they've been crushed so many people right now in this room are grieving on so many levels Um, 
just you have to allow Jesus to meet those needs. You need to reach out, like Chris said, and ask for help from somebody so they can be Jesus with skin on. And just receive his healing. Oh, I have the next one too. Number six is use grief to strengthen your relationships. Um, As Chris said, we grieved differently. I had a concussion. I was in the hospital. The shock is amazing. Um, He was plunged immediately into it. I was buffered more. We grieve in completely different manners. We had to learn how to allow each other to grieve at our own pace, in our own way. Um, Our daughter, Abby, was six, and she wanted to talk all the time. I, being an introvert and an internal processor, wanted to withdraw. These things, you just have to kind of feel your way through, but you have to allow each other to do it. You have to be supportive and just love each other through it. We could have easily been drawn apart, which is not uncommon at all. In fact, that's more the norm. But if you work hard at it and draw toward each other and help each other, then it'll work. The stages of grief aren't neat and tidy. You don't go down in the pit and then come back up. It's kind of a big jumble all in there. This also touches on the, the fifth the fifth aspect, which would be reinvestment. Um, about the time of the accident, I had known of a new ministry in town, uh, Life Choices, where people meet with uh, women in crisis. And my son had told me, Matthew had said, you got to consider doing that because you're a good listener. And I, being an introvert, I go, oh, I don't know. I don't want to do that. But they only had training once a year. So within about four months, I took the training and decided I didn't want to wait another year to try to reach out. I didn't want to sit at home and just internally process. So I learned to let go and to reinvest and to, to love somebody else. Um, not the same way as I love my son, but to reinvest that emotional energy in somebody else and to allow God to use me that way. Mm-hmm. Number seven is we found that certain scriptures rang like bells. I didn't know a better way to put that, but John 11, Martha at the tomb of, of Lazarus with Jesus standing there with tears on his cheeks. Jesus asking her the question, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, we grieve not as those who have, not like the pagans who have no hope, but as those who do have hope and look forward to his coming. 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory because of the resurrection of our king. And then the Genesis passages about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their death, where it says, and they were gathered to their people. I know Some scholars would explain that as a euphemism for death, a nice way of saying they died. But it's an interesting choice of words. But the most powerful one of all for me was Mark 5.41 when Jesus spoke the words to the daughter of Jairus and he said to her, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. Because people, number eight, one day grief will die. And there's a second part to Jesus healing our wounds besides grief, and that part, that second part is resurrection. 
and he will swallow up death forever. As it says in Isaiah 25a, the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Did you know that that was actually quoted by the elder standing at the throne as he and John surveyed heaven and the end of all things? And he quotes that, those wiping away the tears from all faces. I take those to be tears of sorrow, not tears of joy, because when I get to heaven, I'm going to be crying like a baby. (laughs) But it's going to be tears of joy. So here's the deal. When death dies, a lot of things will die, and grief will be one of them. Not because grief is bad, but because it is no longer needed. And so the words of Isaiah the prophet will be fulfilled. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Listen to me, people. Don't let the devil have his way in the playground of grief. Run to Jesus. Cry out to Him. I would dare say most of you struggle with grief at some level. He stands ready to heal your heart. Take the next step in that direction. Do it today. Let's pray. So, Father God, we thank you for the way that you have made us. We thank you for the comfort that we receive from one another. Jesus, we thank you for the comfort we receive from you. Thank you for the promise of walking through the valley of the shadow of death with us. Dear Shepherd, we trust you. We believe you. We know that you are there. Thank you for being there for us. Lord God, I pray that uh, everyone in this room would see you a little more clearly as the loving Father that you are. Jesus, they would see you a little more acutely as the shepherd that, that you are for their souls. We entrust the care of who we are into your hands. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that is literally written into every line of Scripture. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection that we have uh, that we share in because of what Jesus has done we look forward to heaven lord we look forward to the day when uh, we will look upon your face give us grace for one another grace for the days ahead heal our hearts o oh lord we pray these things in your name Amen.